You're listening to a Milky Podcast. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land of which we operate, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And with respect to where our collaborators, guests and listeners are, we extend our acknowledgement to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander elders, past and present. Hello, my name is Patrick Hayes and this is Producers in Conversation. This podcast is all about a space for producers to discuss, share triumphs, experiences and difficulties as we explore the ever-elusive question, what is a producer anyway? I've been in this industry for about 10 years now and I'm still not sure I know the answer. Today I'm joined by Katie Rowe an independent producer within the first few years of her practice. Today we discuss her university education, looking at some of the first programs that she's worked on, and also her first trip to Edinburgh Fringe and how that is going in the current climate. Katie, would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? So my name is Katie Rowe and my pronouns are she, her. I'm a producer and theatre maker based here in Nam who has also lost her voice and doesn't usually sound like this. That's okay. We will work through it. We will <laughs> we will get there. Who knows? My voice has probably changed a lot over every episode because I get like a new mic or a new position or all those things. So great, Katie. Well, I guess uh, as, as we've kind of got the, the rhythm of the questions that we kind of go around, the first question we'd like to ask is, what is your definition of a producer as you define yourself as one? I'm definitely still on a journey when I'm discovering what it really is. But to me, a producer is someone who is an enabler and a facilitator for an artist to do their best work, essentially. And I think it's taking away that administrative burden in quotation marks from an artist so that they can feel like they can fully realise their own work and focused on the art, the craft, the story, whatever it is. And I think a producer is someone who just champions the artist, the entirety of their artistic journey, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, great. Yeah. No, I think that's a very sable um, kind of look at what a producer is and that kind of standpoint. Specifically, so like this might be just like a side question. Are you mainly in, like a like a creative producer working with artists in that sense? Or Yeah. I mean, I'm still definitely yeah. an emerging, emerging artist. I'm very new to this and I only graduated from the VCA, I think. It was two or three years ago. I think all of us say this, but I really did fall into producing. Yeah, right. But a part of, you know, training as a theatre maker and actor means having that sort of natural empathy to the vulnerability of performing, which has always meant that I've been a deeply collaborative, personable sort of creative producer and try and involve myself as much in the process as possible and, you know, chiming in on things that perhaps maybe other producers may not. But then again, it also varies so much from project to project. I think lately with Melbourne Fringe happening, a lot of people are asking me, like, I'm so confused about producing. What does it entail? I always go, for me, it's been really different from project to project. And it's always been about what does that project need? Does it need me to not mm. be so much a creative producer but focus more on marketing or is it just artist support or is it more of a technical sort of um aspect to it so it's so it's so different and i think that's also part of why I yeah love it. which is one of like i guess it's one of the reasons why this podcast kind of exists is that it is such a fluid we have to adapt to fit the cracks that exist in the project and then kind of go from there mm. but it's it's such a yeah and it, it's one of those weird things where i think like every time i've asked that question it's like there are definitions of a producer but it's always this kind of 
loose, ambiguous term of what a producer is because we don't have this like, oh, it's not just as simple as a producer looks after a budget. It's not as simple mm-hmm. as saying that it's, as you said, like champion, championing, like supporting, adapting, looking after stuff for the artist to free them up and all that space. Um, yeah. Well, I guess, so you mentioned that you fell into becoming a producer. So why why did you become a producer? It sort of, it actually quite rarely, I think, from other producers, it actually started at a really specific point and I really kind of remember the memory I sort of, well, the time I fell into it. It was my second year at VCA and our lecturers on the first day of our second year were like, on these dates in August, we're going to hand over the building to the whole entire VCA community. The staff are going to take a step back. We don't care what you do, but something will happen. And for months and months, it left sort of like untouched. No one spoke about it. And I think about April or May, I was like, I reached out to that staff member and I said, has anything happened with this? And she was like, no, someone needs to take hold of it. And I did and curated this festival called Discord 879 because the VCA building is situated at 879 Dodd Street. And we had a week-long festival that showcased over like 40 new works from about 150 students from across VCA. And it was so exciting because, you know, being in an institution like VCA can feel sometimes, I mean, I had an amazing time, but it can feel quite constricting. So to enable, you know, all of these students to have a week where they could sort of just let loose and do whatever they wanted was incredible. And some of the works that were debuted at Discord have ended up, like, you know, being creative developments for works who have had, you know, future lives. I remember also there was one show that then someone from Melbourne Fringe came and then they put them at a spot at Club Fringe that same, like, day. And it was just crazy and it absolutely took off. And then it was going to be sort of a big thing and there was a real legacy about Discord and then, of course, we had the global pandemic, which we just won't talk about. So it's really, it's quite, it's really devastating, but it's also a really special experience because it was sort of this one-off event. And then after mm. that, I kept sort of doing my theatre making training, but this, I just fell in love with producing and sort of being the leader on that and the sort of legacy that let that festival left with that school. I was like, this is incredibly empowering. And I feel like other people are also empowered by it. And I just was like, oh, maybe I'll just do producing. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a, um, I think that kind of experience is a very similar experience for a lot of producers where they kind of just find themselves in that space. I think I was weirdly listening to musical theatre tracks on the weekend and I was listening to Sister Act, which I also must admit, I don't, I won't say con- like, this might be controversial, I didn't really like the musical itself, but I was like, I, I feel like I should listen to this. And there was like a whole song about the calling to the church. And I had this moment of kind of going, I feel like producers exist in this potentially same space where some people just like, they find themselves at a doorstep and that's their part of the church kind of like situation. Some people have this, like they see the need and then they walk towards it and do it and all that stuff. So yeah, I think it's a really, it's a really interesting. I'm sure someone a lot smarter than me could probably do some sort of research into that on the producer origins. But with, with that whole event of discord, which once again, I've like, I used to work with a student theater company and through festival of Australian student theater ages ago. And I know how important it is to have those senses of play that are outside of academic constraints. Cause yeah, you're right. Like academic systems. And I'm sure VCA is no different. They have very, 
there's like there is room to play, but it is like room to play in this um, very detailed box that has been outlined by the university, <laughs> very strict <laughs> guidelines put in place. So it's really great to give that growth. The next question is, what is the moment you felt like a producer? Was there a pin drop moment you suddenly realised you were producing in that moment? I think I remember there was so much lead up work that happened to that festival and it, all of the work felt kind of so intangible. And like, I feel like a lot of the time when we're producing, it's so much like admin that you feel like it's just like, you can't measure your work. It doesn't feel real. And I always think I always feel like a producer once the show or the event is up. And I remember like VCA has like this massive staircase in the middle of it that like winds up. And I remember for some reason I had to get from the top of the stairs to the bottom for something. And I remember like sprinting down the staircase on the first day of the festival and everyone was watching me like run down and they were like, there she goes. And I was like, this is what it is. It's about hustling, like getting from point A to point B to make sure that an artist is okay or like addressing the sort of need or whatever it is. It's always that like when you're on the ground, on your feet. And I think it's the same with any show. It's like, once you get in the space, once you're there with all the tech, whatever it is, that's always where I feel like it's tangible and then it's real and it's happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, but also I think I've always felt like a producer when other people have, like, called me I'm a producer and I feel like people told me I was one before even I got to say. People were like, oh, Katie is a producer, you should get her to produce your stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, oh, I'm a producer now. Oh, okay, like sort of people put that title on you and then you just sort of run with it. I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I had a very, very similar way into the field myself. Yeah. It's a really interesting. Yeah. It's come up a few times in the conversations as kind of, I think it's one of those things that it's very reliant on other people's perception of you to kind of really understand it and see it. And that's probably because that's what the role is. It exists for, other people like producers do not exist in isolation you don't have a producer without an artwork you don't have a producer without artists or an audience or all those elements so it is really interesting that as always nearly everyone it's been someone has had to pull them aside and tell them that they're a producer basically mm-hmm. that's kind of most of the time when people which is also just i think like i'm not sure how it went in vca which is i might actually be a good question like within the theater making courses were there a lot of talk around producers or what producers do or what they exist no not really and I think that was also the pull towards it was the curiosity about it and sort of hearing Mm. about it a lot but not really knowing what it sort of entailed and the theatre making course as I said I had I had an amazing time at VCA it was more about performance making like training, so actor training, body voice, a bit of directing, writing, dramaturg stuff. But it's funny, like to make theatre, you need a producer or you need to produce. And it was, I really do love VCA, but it was the one skill I felt like that that it didn't really teach. I think we did like a couple, maybe like one budgeting class, but it was sort of really interesting. A lot of people... We sort of left VCA. I mean, we also were studying throughout um, our third year was that year that COVID happened. So we were online. So it was difficult. But a lot of people actually left being like, I actually don't know how to put on a show. And a lot of us have just put it on through learning and just doing it. And when people say, oh, should I go study producing or should I go do this? My advice 
She's like, I'm like, just go do it. Go second with someone. Go be someone's assistant or something and learn by doing, particularly with producing. I think if you want to be an actor, formal training is like important. But with producing, I'm like, just go do something and learn by failure, learn by doing it. I think, yeah. Yeah, I think I have given similar advice. Like I haven't done the, I know there is a Masters of Arts Management at RMIT, which I have not done. I moved down from Brisbane, so just did QUT. But yeah, my arts administration, arts management course really is what it was called, was I would say probably a waste of time where I did a full year of stuff and I, it was just similar things like how to write an email, how to do a PowerPoint. Like it was just very things and I, I just feel like maybe one day there will be an amazing producer course which is great with like milky where we work and who's putting on this podcast does a lot of like boot camps classes in those ways where it's a slightly more straightforward approach to talking around it rather than like a curriculum i guess but it's just really interesting that i've never seen like a university that suddenly has like renowned for pu- outputting producers or in that sense i think it's just because it it does, as we're talking about today, it falls in between that artistic and business. So it doesn't, I don't think anyone knows who to lead that conversation, whether it's a business or, yeah. So it must be really, yeah, well, it's good. It's interesting. I do not think VCA is alone in that. So it's definitely not a slight against VCA at all. And I did a similar thing where I did a drama degree, which did a lot of theatre making, but it was more focused on curriculum to become a drama teacher. But Still, like when it was like putting on a show, it was always the creative aspect of putting on a show. It was like, this is where you come up with the idea and then you play and then you do this. But no one ever said finding a rehearsal space, booking a rehearsal space, contracting people, contract law, like all of these different steps in the process. It's funny when you're at VCA though, like VCA, the institution and all the people who work in admin there, they are technically the producers because they're the ones that they set up all the ticketing links and they have the conversations with Melbourne Fringe when you, you do like a show with, with Melbourne Fringe. Like all of that work is done for you by the school. And at the time we were like so grateful because we were like, oh, cool, like they just do that work for us. But it's actually like I realised I was like, oh, there is people who are producing this for us who are downstairs in some office somewhere, like VCA in a way where the producers of our work. Um, yeah, which is it's just interesting that, you know, I wonder if there's some sort of yeah. way in which that'll open up in a few years. And I think people are realising that, you know, producing is a really important skill and we need more producers. So who knows what will happen and if that could open up in some capacity or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what it looks like in the next few years, I think, mm-hmm. for sure, especially since there's been a bit of exodus from the producing field to other industries mainly because weirdly because we're this weird uh in-betweenness but also i think producers have a lot of transferable skills because there's always need for problem solvers in any industry really and that's kind of what we are in essence is a problem solver Mm -hmm. um but yeah it's very interesting um so like looking around producing uh what do you think of the core skills that a producer needs I think that a producer needs to be a personable and have excellent people skills. And I think when I say that to people sometimes, they're like, oh, well, that's easy for you because you're really extroverted and loud. And I've always gone, it's a, that's totally different. Like I know some amazing producers who 
sort of a far more quiet or shy but are still amazing uh, people persons in the way that they can read a room. Um, and I've had so many moments in processes where it's been make or break if you read the room incorrectly and it's always about having that awareness of what does my artists need right now? Do they need space? Do they need support? Do they need me to not come to the show tonight? Do they need me to come to the show tonight? Do they need me to sit up the back and listen to their voice if they're projecting? Like I think a really good emotional awareness and intelligence is important. I also do think you need to be have pretty excellent organisation skills especially if you're juggling a lot of projects at once, it can get overwhelming and confusing. So I think you have to really, you know, love that attention to detail, that like deep organisational sort of level of sort of thinking and structuring your time and scheduling and Google spreadsheeting and and everything. You kind of have to love it. Otherwise, you'll just go crazy. You kind of have to enjoy the organisation, organisational aspect to it. I also think you do have to see a lot of work and see a lot of theatre and you have to really love and champion the industry and other producers. I think of ourselves as a bit of an ecosystem and particularly with Fringe right now and I have a show on it, I see how important it is to support other artists. I think it is an ecosystem in which we just keep enriching each other. So I think you kind of have to be supportive of your peers, your colleagues, your own community places. So um Yeah, I think a deep love for theatre or whatever you're producing, cabaret, comedy, art, whatever it is, you have to really love it and appreciate it and expose yourself to different art forms. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it is, yes, it's definitely a job that I think is similar to like what people say about teachers. I think it's a very hard job to do if you are not passionate about doing it. I'm not saying you can't do it if you're not passionate about doing it, but I just think it would be a lot more difficult to tackle some of those conversations, events, all of those points. But, you know, I mean, I mean, the one project I'm working at the moment is like a profit split model. And, you know, so we're not getting paid a whole lot. And I think about that a lot. It's like, you must really have to love it to work on something for not a lot of sort of, you know, financial security and there's been projects I've done that have been bigger and there's been money and whatnot but those sort of smaller indie projects that you just love because the content is so good or the people are amazing or whatever it is you really have to love it if you're going to work really hard at it like you just how could you work away at something without you know Mm. loving it or something yeah yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I guess like in all of those skills and all of those things that you're thinking about in like what it is to be a producer, what is one thing that you struggle with and how do you tackle that? Like how do you deal with that fact that you might struggle with that skill? Oh, my gosh, that's such a good question. I think I'm just thinking of a particular example right now from something I'm working on. There's a team of 14 of us, which to me for an indie project is quite big. And I mm-hmm. think... Sometimes I found it overwhelming to make sure that everyone on the team, whether that's the cast or the production team, feels like they are heard and they're getting sort of there's a equality or a sense that I'm listening to everyone equally. And I also think it can get complicated sometimes when you're working with friends, like close friends, and this has happened on this project and I'm sure maybe even in similar situations when you're actually working with an environment where these are people that you really love and you really care about them on a personal level as well as a professional one. So I think I've always just found it really interesting because there is a level of artist care 
an artist support that the producer has to their artist. But I guess also removing the sort of personal relationships that you have with close friends or people that you've worked with for a long time can be really, really interesting. Mm. I've had moments with people where there's been small moments where um, and small tiffs or small, small arguments, which are all healthy, but it's important to sort of separate yourself from the work and realise like the relationship you have with your, someone who's a colleague and the re- relationship as a friend and they're different things. And I guess that's also, you know, working within VCA as well is you're working with people that you really love and know, you know, their families, they know yours, you know, each other's lives like inside and out. And it's just sort of, yeah, how do you keep it professional, but also personable? And how do you make everyone in the team, even the people that you're not super close with, feel equally as heard or give them the same amount of attention? I think you're saying that I'm that's just something that's on my mind right now. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's something that a lot of emerging producers specifically, similar to like, it depends on your experience. Like I went much more into uh, festivals straight away. So I wasn't working in like that kind of, I never had a collective or I never had a group of students with me on that level. I actually, out of my whole degree, I think I'm one of two people who are still working in the arts. So it's was just a very different layer. But also that that degree was focusing more on drama teaching than anything else. So I, uh, there's a lot of drama teachers who came out of it and they're all amazing senior students to their schools. Um, <laughs> but it's just really, it was really interesting because like when I've been in, I quickly went in through like a more, prof- like I guess in air quotes, professional avenue where I was a few steps ahead in years of the career path that I'd chosen but I was also still kind of figuring things out. And I was talking to people who were taking on the similar kind of projects that you were talking around now, whereas that's like, you know, some friends or uh, students that have come together to create something and then probably, and it does get incredibly difficult really quickly. Like, I think I, one of the examples that I had from way back when was like these, there was a group of friends. They were like the cool kids in, in the university, <laughs> a bit, a bit clicky, but we'll forgive them. That was like 10 years ago, but they did like a final project and it was great and amazing. And everyone like went bananas over this piece that they'd made. And then some of them wanted to go and redo it somewhere else. And then a couple of people didn't, but they also didn't want the work to like happen because they were part of the creative process and all of that. And then I suddenly saw these group of friends very quickly not be be friends anymore. (laughs) It really dissented really quickly. So I think I have no easy answers. Yeah, I think communication, expectation, all of those things is just constant, like communicate as quickly, as openly um, as you can. And yeah, the expectations of going, this is friend time, but there's also this is the work time that I have you. And, you know, between rehearsal hours, I expect you to do the job that you were assigned to do. You are in that role. You want to do that job. If you don't want to do that role, you need to communicate to me so we can find someone else to do that for you. Mm. But like, it's really, it's a hard, it's hard. And especially because as a producer, you kind of become the stereotypical parent of that process where suddenly you have to dispute not even just your own issues in that moment you have to often be HR for the two actors who were fighting each other or having issues and you have to come in as the once again in quotes impartial Mm -hmm. person in that process which is a bit frustrating when you're in like that collective mode because you might also be a creative in -hmm. that space and have your own opinions um but yeah yeah 
it's a difficult I have empathy I do not know if I have any easy answers for you though no totally and I think it's also something about setting up boundaries of communication and for me it's always been like if it's about the show if it's about the work keep it over email correspondence if it's about your personal life yeah shoot me a Facebook message or if it's you know if it's an urgent show related thing text me but it's also you know what boundaries can you set up to protect yourself and protect the people that you're working with as well and for me, I've always preferred email correspondence with colleagues and things like that because it just keeps it formal and in writing. Um, yeah. I've had to do that with yeah. a couple of friends to just be like, hey, can we take this over here <laughs> just so we can track it and all of that sort of stuff. I mean, yeah, I love working with people that I've known for a long time because also you do build that vocab and that understanding of each other mm-hmm. how, of how you work and that's, you know, that can be, you know, quite, quite rare. And, I mean, I've just come back from overseas where I was working with an entirely new bunch of people and it's sort of like rewiring your brain to be like, oh, this is the mode we're going into now. This is how these people work. It's different to how I do it, but, you know, I love it. I love how this person works, but it's always sort of constantly shifting gears of how do I operate in this space and sort of where do I sit? So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think you touched on something there that I think was like a really – is advice that I've given to a lot of people is – writing there's a great deal and people when people say have it in writing i think everyone jumps to like major league contracts or anything like that but i think even in those spaces if you're having a brief conversation over the phone just being like yep cool you know you're doing this i'm doing this great great blah 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 then you just send like a text message being like hey just i just want this in very clarity going here are the tasks you're doing here are the tasks i'm doing and then that gives like a full chance for someone to review it, go, nope, I misunderstood, that's incorrect. Yeah, I think that would honestly save a lot of uh, projects in many different ways is just having full-on, yeah, transparency. But as you said, you have to adapt to new people. I guess like the next question, you might even want to talk around your most recent experience being overseas as well. So mm-hmm. we're currently recording in the first two weeks-ish of October. I just say that because this is the world where things change month by month and I like to indicate where we are in the timeline of (laughs) uh, once-in-a-lifetime events, which there seems to have been like seven of them in the last 12 months. Um, But here we are. How are you dealing with the current climate? Like, how is it? Like, so you just said, were you over in Edinburgh Fringe, was it? Or I was, in, I was one of those many people in Edinburgh Fringe and also uh, in London at the Soho Theatre for about two weeks. Yeah, um, right. Mainly I was in Edinburgh for a month with uh, Pieta Farrell and mm-hmm. um, her team, so <clears throat> Ruben Kay and Tina Del Twist and Aboriginal Comedy All-Stars. We had five shows across the festival. And it was the craziest thing right. I've ever done. And you can hear it in my voice. This is how I lost it. I um, was in Edinburgh, but it was pretty crazy. And I also think being in a different country was just, it just felt absolutely insane. Like I was like, this is just, and also Edinburgh Fringe is just the craziest thing ever. And everyone was like, how was it? And every time someone asks, I just like blank because I don't even know how to just, the craziness. I'm like, you just have to experience it. And, Someone else who they described it like it's like New Year's Eve every night for like 30 nights in a row. But it was also so exciting and I hadn't felt that like activated as a producer. Like it was actually like such a invigorating experience to like be in a different country surrounded by 
almost every artist <laughs> ever who like flooded there and there were so many Australians there and it was just incredible and I think like um just made me sort of fall in love with producing more because it's so like as I said it's so on the ground you're running around all the time constantly problem solving and I was really sad when I had to come home but I was also really excited because I remember I said to my Melbourne friend show the company um Slutnik I was like I'm so excited to come home and implement everything I've learned over here into Melbourne Fringe and it was almost emotional coming home to the first rehearsal because I just felt like I was this new kind of producer I just learned so much from being overseas in this different climate in this different environment where it's so different to Melbourne Fringe it was so exciting to come home and be like I have all these new skills and I just want to share all of them with you yeah I don't know if that answered your question I think I just went on a rant about Edinburgh oh I mean I think it's. I think that's a great thing to do for one, but it's uh, like also good to know, like with Melbourne Fringe in. But like, I guess with the current climate, what are the? I guess what the question is like, what are the difficulties or challenges that you're facing right now as a producer in the current landscape of like post COVID? Also, you know, even other stuff like uh, like for instance, I'm having difficulties right now because plane flights are getting really expensive, like that's really impacted a lot of budgets for when I've been looking at touring. Like what are the things that are current for you? I definitely think making a tour-ready show is really difficult. Um, and any time that I've been on tour, it's always been with an organisation or someone who's above me. And I'm currently in the process of making a show that'll be, I'll be the main producer who's in charge of the actual touring of it. It won't be like through an organisation. And it is really hard to budget for it. And it's really hard to know. It's sort of like the chicken before the egg thing. Like you get a grant for, you know, taking a show somewhere, but then you haven't got your venue yet because perhaps the venue is taking more time to process applications. So you can't really book your flights yet, but you want to book them as soon as you can so it's cheaper, but you don't know when you're going yet. So it's this really sort of difficult sort of process of what order do I sort of do things in when I don't have all the information that I need. And also I think just financially it's mm. stressful with COVID. I mean, well, it's really interesting right now. In like three days, I'm pretty sure that anyone can perform with COVID. I think from the 14th they're saying they're scrapping it, which is it's really complicated and I still don't even know if I have a firm opinion on it myself. But, I mean, right now if one of my artists got COVID tonight, we would have to cancel the show. And that's, you know, 70 tickets worth or something. I checked the ticketing sales yeah. before. So that's, you know, X amount of money, which is certain line or fee in the budget so it is it's really scary and I think there's a heightened sense of anxiety around you know budgeting and it really sort of does fall on the producer a bit and it is it's a scary space to sort of exist in to you know have to cancel shows or whatever it is and it's also changing mm. the game in terms of understudies and swings in the role of independent theatre we've never really done this before and we haven't done this for this season of Slutnik, but in the first season at Theatre Works, which I wasn't attached to at the time, they bought on a swing and paid them, which is like an unheard sort of thing in independent theatre. It's such a main stage or like commercial musical thing of having swings and standbys and understudies. And I think it's kind of going to be really interesting as producers of like, can we afford to bring on someone to observe in the room and then push them on stage one night, <laughs> well, not push, but be like, okay, go on and, and do it. And I, I'm really interesting, really interested, sorry, in to see how that changes for independent mm. theatre where you usually don't even have the funds really for to pay everyone. So how do we 
accommodate, yeah, artists who are on standby and I'm very curious to see how that happens. But, I mean, going back to Edinburgh as well, people who did get COVID and you could perform and it felt wrong, but it was just like, okay, that's what this city is doing. Um, Melbourne's not, but now Melbourne is. So it's really, it's really, really interesting and I'm very curious to see how it pans out. Yeah, totally. Like, I think it's one of those really interesting conversations at the moment because I guess the COVID, although there's still the occasional really bad case, I think it is now after two, three years, many vaccinations later, it is getting towards that kind of flu-like vibe where it knocks you down for like a day or two and then people seem to be kind of getting back on their feet. I'm not saying that's everyone, so please do not uh, send angry messages if you are not one of those people. But um, as someone who had, like I had COVID about four months ago and it took me out for about like four or five days and then I was kind of fine to go. And I still had to quarantine for a week. That was the time that it reduced to like one week of quarantine and then Mm. you could figure out life. But yeah, it's a really interesting shift, but like it's it's like we say these things of like, oh gosh, how do we deal with it? But also, I've always had this interesting moment of going, people get sick all the time. Like it's something that just happens. It's like food poisoning or having a flu, but also there's this weird thing where I think in the arts performers have been pushing themselves. There's like a this is my acceptable level of performing with injury, illness, whatever, and then suddenly the next level is, you know, broken ribs, broken foot, like I can't do it anymore, blah. So it's really interesting. I think it's just that ambiguity of where this falls and what it is. Because like, even though legally you could still perform with COVID, if it's hitting that person extremely hard and they can't perform anyway, just because they're coughing up, you know, stuff or lost their voice due to COVID or anything like that, it's it's a really interesting, yeah, I'm interested to see how the next few weeks or so go with it but it's great to hear that your um, Melbourne Friends show is selling well that sounds like a good box office like I've heard that there has been a bit of a slog for some different producers around to get ticket sales moving so it's good to hear that you've got that it's nice I mean it's I do have to give a shout out to Flick who is the playwright on Slutnik but also runs a lot of the marketing and has done like one of the best jobs I've seen someone do in terms of like daily content like constantly creating digital content and like creating this marketing campaign for Slutnik in which you kind of couldn't ignore it. It was actually amazing and I'm really proud and impressed by them because we're also in a big venue. We're in Solidarity Hall, which is one of the hub's kind of bigger venues and we were always a bit anxious about Mm. the venue capacity and the time slot. Again, this is the things that you're always thinking about because when we found out we got the festival hub, Everyone's like, this is amazing. But then me, I'm like, no, 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 it's a late time slot. People don't want to come. It's in a really big venue. How are we going to sell tickets? And we've had an amazing run so far, I think, because there's been a really good marketing, came, um, marketing campaign, but also having a bigger team and yeah. a cast of six, which is also rare for a fringe to be a cast of six. And it's not just like an improv group or comedy. Like it's a play with a full-on just set design <laughs> and costumes and lights and an amazing sound design. So. I think we were yeah. really, really ambitious and it's, there's, I mean, we haven't finished the season yet, but we've had a really good time so far. But also going back to what you said before, I think is interesting. I think COVID, I hope one small silver lining is that I think there is a really big overwork culture in the arts and we find it really hard to switch off. And I do think that this has been one of the first times where 
we're taking sickness kind of more seriously. And because people couldn't come into rehearsal rooms because they were sick or something, it actually forces people to stop because <laughs> they had to. And I think a lot of the time, I remember at VCA, like we were sick constantly. There was like one week where everyone had tonsillitis and we like all came in and were like, you know, in these like really like intimate spaces and everyone's like sick with runny noses and it was just like no one cared. And now it's so different and a part of me kind of thinks it's okay. I think it's forcing people to stop working when you're sick <laughs> yeah absolutely More wind. i think that's it like if you're sick you shouldn't work that's that's yeah. really just the that's the sentence that's the message yeah. well looking at like you've mentioned a couple of aspects of this as we've been talking but the next question is around funding your projects so you've kind of existed in profit share which i'm assuming is a lot more focusing on income from box office uh but you also mentioned grants so like what is what is the average way that you fund your projects Again, I've, uh, people have asked me this a lot lately, and again, it's so different. With Slutnik, because we knew we were really wanting to do something a bit more ambitious, we applied for so many grants, and a lot of them we actually got rejected on, which is a part of the process. Um, but, I mean, one of the beauties of existing within a university space, which is where the director and the writer, they're, they're master students, they were able to get a couple of smaller, like, micro-grants from the uni, which just sort of helped tide us over and cash flowed some of those bigger purchases that we made about like the set and some sound hire stuff. But it's really relying on box office, which is why it's sort of stressful and I'm constantly monitoring ticket sales because wanting to see how we're tracking. I also received from the VCA like a alumni sort of scholarship for an emerging artist and we put some of that towards it. And then there's been other times working on a creative development at the moment with some people and we just got found out the other day we got accepted into this residency program. So it's a lot of grant applications. It's a lot of rejection. But it's also, you know, I've done a bit of work with Performing Lines this year and did a show with Rising and that was like the first time where, you know, it's like a big, for me, a bigger budget. And I was bought on quite last minute to the project. So all of the money and budget stuff was kind of already sorted. So it was sort of like I was coming on and all of the funds were already there and allocated, ready to go. And then it was just a matter of managing the budget but it is really different um every time yeah so but you know there is a lot of applying for funding especially if it's a more ambitious work and I know that everyone's going to have to be paid like a a really good and proper fee but also I think there's something amazing about independent artists and how we can put on a show from like nothing and that, I think that's why I'm so impressed by the team on Slutnik because you know it's been really like micro grants and I think when you're working on limited resources, it forces people to be creative. Like our designer has done this incredible design basically from like nothing and it's incredible. And I think that's also an amazing part of independent theatre is people just hustling and and getting it done and using their brains in amazing ways to realise something. So, yeah, but it varies. Yeah. I mean, Mm. yeah, you kind of covered all the the different points there. I think that's a great Mm. kind of overview of the many different facets of getting funding in Mm. the specific stage of performance, but then also... Yeah, that space of working in festivals sometimes where they have everything and you don't even have to worry about it, which is great and all those points. But yeah, well, I mean, the next question is kind of talking around why, like, it's it's the question, I guess, that is we all ask ourselves sometimes is why do you think producers are important to the art sector? I mean, I feel like the answer is so obvious, but I can't put it into words or articulate it. 
I just think we need, especially right after COVID, I think that I've noticed that artists and particularly also comedians as well are feeling more vulnerable, more exposed and haven't had that audience feedback that they crave and that they need, like theatre or anything cannot exist without an audience. It's a shared language between the two and you really can't have one without the other. And I think that producers are there to give artists that support, whether it's emotional or financial or whatever it is. Artists need Mm. the support and they need someone to back them and they need to feel like someone's invested in them. Yeah, there's so much work that goes into producing for an artist, whatever kind of show it is, and I think that's why. I wish I had a more um, grand answer. No, no, I think that's, yeah. I think, like, just that we're important to support and there's, like, a lot of work that we do and all those points, I think it's, like, really just important to acknowledge and recognise. It's just sometimes it's really interesting, like, I guess there's a lot of people who work with producers there's a lot of people who work with no producer there's self-producing artists there's all these different layers so it's just good to kind of understand this ambiguous role that doesn't really get taught why we are important to the ecosystem and why it's needed yeah it's just really interesting when it comes to producing what what is a moment that you are the most proud of i think taking myself to edinburgh with pieta was a massive risk like it was, I never met her team of people before um, and it all happened quite quickly um, and I was looking to just get out of the country and work somewhere else and it also happened, this is just sort of that thing of trusting the timing. Pieta was also looking for an assistant so when I reached out she was like, this is perfect timing, I need someone. And I think I met her two times before we were in Scotland um, and I'd never met anyone on the team and it's a big team that went with her because we had Ruben and the band and then we had Tina and we had all the Aboriginal comedy all-stars. And I think it was a risk that paid off because I learned so much and fell in love with the team and sort of vice versa and we all became quite close. I think that was a moment I was proud of was taking a massive risk and really like going out on a whim and just being like, I'm going to do this. It could go terribly and it didn't. And I think that was something I was proud of was launching myself into like an unknown space and I'll be forever grateful that I did it and grateful to that team for taking me in in the way that they did. So, yeah, I think there's when you do take a risk, there's a pride or something that comes after doing so and I think that's definitely one of my proud of moments. We also, another one was like on Friday, we opened officially opened Slutnik to a sellout audience and that was a very nice feeling. It was a really nice feeling because this is also one of the shows again where it's just me as the producer. It's not with an organisation. It's not with someone above me. It's really me running and steering that ship. So to have a first out audience is just like it's – and being able to tell your cast and your team that it's just like a dream to say we've got a song yeah. tonight. You know, it's the best thing in the world. So, Yeah. <laughs> Very good recent moments to be proud of. <laughs> On the flip side of that, I think one of, this, one of the reasons for this podcast is to kind of create a space where producers can share an experience and that also means like kind of sharing mistakes or things that we've learned along the way. Uh, so what, what are one of the mistakes that you think that you've made in relation, in relation to producing? Oh, I feel like I've made so many... I've definitely stuffed up. We all, we, we all have. <laughs> I've definitely stuffed up budget things before that have had pretty like significant implications in terms of 
I've done a budget really, really rushed, like super rushed. And then I realize about like a week sort of into either rehearsals or doing the show that I'm going to come really like over budget because I didn't put in anything about, and this again is about vulnerability, but like, you know, not putting in an Auslan interpreter, not budgeting for it. So putting access as yeah. sort of this afterthought, which, for, you know, that's, I really learned through that process. Okay, I cannot do that next time. And then for this time, we prioritized it even sort of more. And, but even like there's small things just like consumables and, and van hire or contingency that when you're doing, because usually when you're doing a budget, you usually, maybe it's for an application. So you're doing them usually quite quickly and it can be quite stressful and overwhelming. And I found that, yeah, it's really easy to forget about things because you're just not in the right headspace of production week and actually what that entails as being a producer and how there's usually overspends and things that you need to consider. And there's been definitely a couple of times where I've gone a little bit over budget because I just haven't figured out that. I think as well just there's definitely been moments, I think, going back to skills that a producer needs, you know, confidentiality. And, again, when you're working with friends, it's really hard to protect yourself or protect others. And there's definitely been times where I've probably overshared information with people who really didn't need to know and I don't mean that in like a gossipy or sort of catty sense, but it is just that thing of if someone comes to you with something that's confidential or information that's private, as a producer, it is your job to keep that information confidential and private. And there's probably been moments because, you know, you know, particularly in Edinburgh where drinking culture is so, it's so big. And as soon as, you know, even with Melbourne, yeah. there's a really big alcohol culture that happens at Club Fringe. It's really easy to quickly just, unleash or open up about something that really you shouldn't and I'm trying to get better and better at that but yeah I think they're saying about confidentiality and not you know betraying people's trust as a producer and this is why it's get, it can get complicated with friends you know mm. you want to sort of tell them everything but there comes a point where you really need to respect you know your, your your team and keep things to yourself if they need to be kept to yourself so yeah there are a couple of things that come to mind <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely I think those are I think we've all been in those spaces. I think we've all had the budget hiccups. I've even had the one where just like an algorithm was wrong in the budget, so it wasn't adding stuff in. And then suddenly, you know, I was looking at the bottom line and it wasn't calculating, it wasn't including all the costs or it wasn't adding up the income correctly, like all of those points. Yeah, like I think the industry that we have, the personal and the professional get blended a lot more than any other industry that I've encountered. And I think it's always a learning curve. I think it's always kind of adapting and getting used to things. Sometimes you work with friends. Sometimes I've got friends that I love very dearly, but I also don't think I'd ever want to work with them. I've got people who I don't like personally, like I won't say hate, but definitely don't like, but who I'm like very happy. I would like, yeah, cool. But I know that they can deliver a project really well and they can do all that stuff. So it's really interesting that meld and because we kind of, you know, we also network, we kind of like, it's all these things that kind of really transgress where we go our work time, but then our play time is also work time. So it really blurs all of that. And I think just having, yeah, as a, even like your own expectations or rules and go, well, I'm not going to talk about this or this and that. And even when I've gotten to points where like, I've been pressed by friends for information that is private or not even private, but just like it should be confidential to the organization or to the being. I just go, look, I can't talk about that. Like, I just can't. This is not a thing. But I'm also someone who doesn't drink that much. So I also have the benefit of not being that fun. But I have seen 
like at a- I used to work at APAM, which is like the big arts performing arts market. And it would be seeing these CEOs and stuff getting a bit tipsy, but also like sharing and saying stuff and gospel. It's just one of those things. No yeah. easy answers, but <laughs> a constant thing that I think is everyone is learning with. Yeah. I also just remember that when I was in Edinburgh, and I'm sorry, Peter, if you hear this, I definitely like over-processed comp tickets, which I have a very toxic trait of doing, like just giving out comps. <laughs> To anyone and everyone. And then, like, I've done it even a bit with Slatnik of, like, oh, hold on. Have I gone over the combo occasion? Like, we actually also need to make money. Like, and people are like, can I get a comp? Yeah, you can get a comp. And it's, like, it's really easy to say yes, especially to people who have done favours for you for a project. But there also comes a point where it's, like, hold on, we need to make money. Um, you know yeah. what? I, I, I A secret little tidbit I've done with that is, like, make a 50% off promo code thing that only you have so if you're ever in that situation where it's like not a vip but like you know a friend or something who's like oh like can i get a comp it's like i can't give you a comp but i can give you a code that'll get you two for one like it's just mm-hmm. like you kind of so at least you have at least some income coming in because <laughs> nice. i have also been in that situation yes but um it's, it's also hard sometimes to say no to people especially because and like yeah independent theater you're relying on favors from other people a lot of the time and with this like so much stuff I've worked on, it's like beg, borrow, steal, and people have given us stuff in kind. And then it's like this whole team of people that like maybe like 50 people who really gave something to the project and then you want to give them a free ticket. But it's like we also have comps for like reviewers and media and it's like we, you can't comp out every single person. So, yeah, it is sometimes you feel awful. No, but- I, honestly, I honestly think a, a friends and helper discount code is something that's worth building from the get-go and you just have it up your sleeve. And then whether it's like a... 30% discount, whatever you want to do it. But like just something that you could be like, look, I can't do this, but here it is. And then it's up to them. You've given them something and go, here's something that I can give you a cheaper ticket. If they want it, then they go, yeah, cool. I'll support and do this. If not, then you've got a free ticket that is there to for someone to buy full price rather than a comp. So it's yeah. like, it's up to you. Yeah. I love it. The last kind of leading into the closing part of our interview, and it kind of leads off what we just talked about in many different ways, but like if you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice at the start of your career or even like, you know, start of um, Slutnik or heading over to Edinburgh, what is the one piece of advice that you would give yourself? I've been thinking about this a bit lately and I think it would be something on the lines of don't worry too much about when the next gig will be. And what I mean is like the year that I've had this year has been like insane in terms of the producing. And I think because a lot of producers exited the industry as a younger emerging artist, I really had to step up quite quickly. Like working with Rising and stuff like that was just like I was like I feel wildly underqualified. But I feel like emerging people, emerging producers have had to sort of step really step up and meet somewhere in the middle quite quickly. And what I mean by that is like a year ago, I never would have thought that I would have had all of this work and all of these shows this year. And I remember this time last year, I was sort of sitting there ang- like anxiously, like sort of twiddling my thumbs, going, "I have no idea what my year looks like next year. Like it's all a bit up in the air." And there's sort of, it's sort of like for me, I'm just trying to get more comfortable with the lack of stability and the lack of security and sort of embracing the chaos of it all. And everything that I've done this year has always happened quite quickly. Like I've been brought on and then the next day I start or I've been given like a month to like maybe three weeks notice that I'm going to Edinburgh. 
And I think it's just really trusting that you'll, you will just fall into the right project. You'll find the right project or the right project will find you. And I think especially right now in October, everyone's beginning to get a bit, get a bit anxious about what's happening next year. And, you know, I did, there's definitely things that I know are going to happen, but it's also just trusting that the right things will happen if it's meant to be and just not wasting energy or time worrying about the future too much because I never would have thought that I would have had the year I've had this year, this time last year. So it's just sort yeah. of yeah, getting comfortable with how kind of in, like unstable it can feel, I suppose. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I think that's a great answer. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I think it's something that we all – I think everyone's still like it's one of those things that is always an ongoing change and adjustment because like yeah it's it's a skill that is great to start working on a lot younger in the career I think because it'll always you'll have and it'll you'll have fluctuations there'll be times when you feel a lot better about it there'll be times when you feel not so great about it um, hmm. but yeah yeah I think remembering when there's moments where you're not producing doesn't mean that you're not a producer you can still be a producer without constantly working and it's like you need to remember like who you are when you're working, when you're not, and it's all sort of okay. I think we can feel a bit lost when we're not working and it's like, oh, my God, why am I not producing right now? And it's like, but you will soon, you know, it's okay. So, yeah. Yeah, awesome. Well, um, that kind of brings us to the end of our little conversation, Katie. So thank you so much for coming along. Uh, listeners, I'll get some links from Katie if uh, she has any to link to like following or like producing skills or even her own stuff if you are looking for a producer and have some opportunities next year that Katie might be useful for. Feel free to like all those points. Yeah, thank you so much, Katie. It's been a wonderful time having a chat with you. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> listeners, I'll catch you next time. And this has been Producers in Conversation. Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast. Milky is your go-to for getting your show to the stage. We run industry-leading courses and workshops for independent artists and producers, covering everything you want to know about producing a show. Want to find out more? Head to our website, milky.com.au. That's M-I-L-K-E.com.au.